Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got an interesting one for you today. Some great guests going to be joining me this hour. I've got Mr. Mark Wiseletter in the studio and we're going to be talking about all sorts of legals, do's and don'ts. And later in the hour, I've got Ray Ferris joining me from the Ontario Real Estate Association. You might remember Ray. He was past president there and always a great guest. Uh, you know, one of the things I love having Ray on about is that he just tells it how it is. He, you know, uh, he doesn't always worry about being politically correct so i'm going to have ray joining me a little bit later in the hour but of course now since we've got some mortgage changes going on i'd rather go to my expert mr dave butler from butler mortgage and welcome to the show dave Hey, Todd, how you doing? Thank you. Uh, you know, Dave, <laughs> you and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago when, when I had you on, and uh, it's interesting. It looks like it has come to fruition. The, uh, the stress test is coming down for the five-year mortgage. Is that right? Yeah, so this, is, uh, this seems to be it's picking up uh, a lot of steam as far as the media. Um, some of the stuff that is being reported... Uh, is that this is an introduction of a stress test to all mortgages at 20% down or more, and that's actually not correct. Um, the stress test has actually already been there for over a year in terms of if a client is applying for a variable rate or a one-year, two-year, three-year, or four-year fixed rate. So really all this is is just the finishing off where now the five-year fixed requires a stress test. Previous to the rule change, the five-year fixed on a 20% down payment or more mortgage was the only product that you could actually qualify on the five-year fixed rate. So realistically, all this is is them getting the last and final product out there to qualify on a stress test. Right. So, Dave, question for you. Um, how many mortgages are out there that are going after the five years? So if we were talking about, you know, previous to this announcement, and of course, this doesn't have kick until January 2018, but w- what is the percentage of mortgages that most people are taking as a five-year mortgage? Uh, well, I would say as a five-year fixed or a five-year variable, it's going to majority uh, are probably going to be for that product. Uh, the difference being that there are a lot, a lot of people today that would take a five-year fix uh, that would still qualify on it even with a stress test. So a lot of times as myself, a mortgage broker, when I am pre-qualifying a client, uh, we would be looking at it with a stress test anyways based on offerings to the client, such as if the client had wanted a three-year fix, we would be going off the stress test. If the client had even wanted a five-year fix, we would still look at the stress test simply to make sure that our client is in an affordable position. But um, I think certainly what this means is that you have some of the, you know, if we were to label it as maybe fringe buyers that um, their debt service ratios are at a certain point where they only qualify on the five-year fixed rate and not on the stress test, they will certainly be affected. Um, But I think overall, I don't know if this is going to have as much of an impact as everybody is saying. And like I said, I'm reading media outlets like the Globe and Mail where they're saying that this is the introduction of a stress test for all mortgages at 20% down or more. Um, We've already had a stress test at 20% down or more for quite a while uh, on the variable rate and the one to four year fixed rates. 
Right. So when when we start analyzing this, you know, as you said, there's a lot of people think that it'd be a little bit of a game changer in the industry that the industry is going to suffer because when you do the when you do the actual numbers, when people were calculating out at the five year fixed rate, and then they have to go through a stress test, they actually were saying that, you know, the person that could have $100,000 income, they turn around, maybe can afford $715,000 purchase. Now they're going to be able to afford $556,000 purchase so it you know it seems like a substantial drop um, are they are they putting this into place because they think people are taking on too much debt is that the really the big motivation for them I think that helps uh, it helps allow them to do that you know every time we see statistics out there about Canadians having insanely high uh, household debt levels uh, that is certainly something that would allow them to want to make a move like this I think also that the truth is um, we could, you know, and I, I think you and I have obviously talked about this, but I think the arrow on interest rates is definitely not down. And so when it looks like we may be entering hopefully a gradual increase of interest rates uh, over the next, say, three, four, five years, or even staying the same, we hope, um, the, idea, the idea, in my opinion, is that they're simply trying to ensure that Canadians are not getting in over their heads and getting in a situation where three, four, five years ago, or five or three, four, five years from now, sorry, if rates are higher, they really want to be able to know that you can afford your home. You know, um, I was reading a few articles this week, and as, as you and I both agree, you know, the headlines are always, uh, you know, sometimes they're very misleading, and we do struggle with some of the factual information that's coming out. But more importantly, I saw a few of these articles referencing the fact that they believe that this is going to make homes more affordable. In other words, let's push down prices, and let's continue to do so because we should make things affordable for people. Um, you know, I've always stood by the fact that the government needs to keep their nose out of everybody else's business. And so my my question to you is, do you think they're doing the right thing? Because there's been so many changes this year in Ontario alone. You know, you and I have seen, you know, the wind government approach, you know, 16 different mandates put into place, you know, because they want to call it, you know, fair housing market. Um, then they turn around and you've got the you know, Bank of Canada going up twice, you know, they kind of got rid of the incentive. Does it make sense for them to keep piling on this to try to, to squeeze the market? You know, it's, it's, it's funny you ask that. I mean, uh, generally speaking, I think most times when we look back in history, at least with regards to interest rates and housing, um, more intervention by the government generally wasn't uh, as helpful, or maybe it even wasn't needed. I think you and I are big believers in uh, markets, and the, the and economics of it. Um, so I definitely think that government intervention on this, you know, is, in my opinion, uh, potentially not not allowing it to be organic, not allowing the market to take its own shape. Um, and I think we can all agree that uh, I don't necessarily know if if Kathleen Wynne knows more about interest rates and where they should be and and uh, regulations as much as people that are actually in it every single day. 
Well, you know, this is this is the thing. I mean, you know, they 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 you know they put out this information saying that they've studied it and studied it. When push came to shove, you know, they were telling us about the foreign buyer tax back, you know, in the spring and telling us that, you know, oh, you know, we've got to implement this foreign buyer tax. When the numbers actually came out, there was not nearly the same number of foreign buyers that they first were trying to mislead people. Here we go. We've got these stress tests coming out. You know, they're trying to keep more control over the market. Um, are we going to see a change in the Bank of Canada rate? Are they going to increase it again this year? Well, that 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 to me, this the, this latest OFSI recommendation on the rules, in my opinion, uh, would allow me to pretty much predict that I see no way of the Bank of Canada increasing the prime rate for at least the final two meetings of the year. We have the one meeting on October 25th this month, and then we have another meeting of the Bank of Canada in December uh, I would say that all the rule changes that you and I have seen this year, the two primary increases we've seen this year, that leads me to pretty much predict that it should be very, very, very hard for them to increase the prime rate again for the rest of the year. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think what we have is we have a disconnect from your federal to provincial to even the Bank of Canada because they all wanted, I'm not going to say they all want to take credit for for cooling the housing market, but it seems like that is the language used every single week in the media, you know, an attempt to cool the real estate market because they're they're looking at the entitled first-time homebuyer that says, well, I can't afford it. Well, tell you what, stop going to Starbucks. But at the end of the day, you know, we hear a lot of people complaining that, you know, there's the lack of affordability. Well, now with the increase in the Bank of Canada rate and also, you know, throw, throw in the extra stress test for, for some, um, you know, I, it's kind of like, who, who's, who's really doing the job that they're supposed to be doing here? Yeah, it gets a little scary on yours and I side when we start seeing different mixes of government being involved. We've got provincial intervention, federal intervention, We've got the banks, basically police, which is obviously, uh, you know, <laughs> jumping in as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting situation. We've, we, you know, in my opinion, affordability for mortgages was not the main concern that I, you, and I could see when the market was hot. I think that um, ultimately the kind of artificial cooling off, if you will. Uh, is causing us to all now look at that. So it's uh, this has been an interesting year. One, one I would say for the record books, we are seeing we saw as as we saw at the beginning of the year incredible, incredible high activity uh, pricing all over the place. And then obviously since May, we've seen a bit of a dip. But I do believe that uh, you know homeowners and potential homeowners are you know we are a resilient bunch. Um, you know where where maybe there will involve a stress test. Maybe that just means we need to get more resourceful and maybe look at adding potential co-signers to applications because truthfully, a stress test has everything to do with your income and debt servicing ratio. Um, so with the stress test involved, it really just means there's potentially more income needed on the file. Uh, so with that said, we are a resourceful bunch. I'm sure we will look at how to not necessarily mitigate this, but to uh, be able to get into something that we can afford with possibly overlooking the stress test. And what I mean by that is as a broker, um, you know, certainly if I have a client taking a five-year fixed at a rate in the low threes, let's say today, and they have to qualify on this stress test, I mean, the reality is I know that their rate is not going to change for five years. And in, a lot, in five years, a lot of stuff can happen. 
So the idea is, is that I think more and more people will be working with brokers or people that are able to guide them the right way with regards to mortgages to be able to help qualify, uh, whether that means bringing on a co-signer, whether that means um, having the clients pay down a certain amount of debt. These are all things that can affect the GDS and TDS ratios, which is a way we can circumvent this higher qualifying rate. Yeah, excellent. Listen, Dave, always a pleasure. What's the best way for our listeners to get to you? Uh, feel free to give us a call at one 684 8326, or of course, our, our website there at butlermortgage.ca. Excellent. Thank you so much. As usual, always a pleasure. Todd, appreciate it. Thanks, folks. That was Mr. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Hey, listen, coming up after the break, I've got Mr. Mark Wiseletter joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Always a pleasure to have Dave Butler on. And uh, folks, you know what? We're going to keep an eye on those mortgages. Find out what the Bank of Canada is going to do in the near future. Who knows if it's going to go back up, uh, you know, past the 1%. Maybe they're going to throw a quarter point in. We'll wait and see if that finishes out that way. But joining me now is real estate lawyer, Mr. Mark Wiseletter. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Todd. Always great to have you on. You know, I've had you on in the, uh, previously, and we have some great conversations uh, going on. A lot of stuff going on in the uh, in the newspapers nowadays a lot of people you know complaining about uh, you know pre-buying some uh, properties builders not building them you know we've got some issues with the quality of being built Uh, lots going on when somebody buys brand new Okay, so you've got to, you know, hopefully you're buying from a reputable builder. Um, we, we hear the word Tarion used, okay? Are all, are all brand new builds uh, covered by Tarion? Yes, the builder is supposed to be registered with Tarion. And by, as a result of being registered, then you have protections uh, on the deposits, for example. But they're not great protections. They were hoping they would increase those uh, deposit protections. But that's the main Uh, protection for a consumer is to make sure that the builder is registered with Tarion before they even get started. So can a builder actually build uh, in Ontario without being uh, part of Tarion? Well, the only time you really see this is sometimes when uh, builders uh, buy a a home, knock it down, and then sort of pretend to move in and then sell it as a resale. Right. That house would not be registered with Tarion, and so you wouldn't get any of the protections of the Tarion warranty. Uh, so there are a number of houses that are sold that way. So buyers need to be, wary. Be, bear, be very wary of those kinds of purchases because then there's no real warranty at all regarding structure, leakage, etc. You know, that's a really good point because there are a lot of houses, especially with the real estate you know market that we've just seen over the last uh, over the last couple of years. Though, more importantly, you know, in the last year, we see a lot of houses getting knocked down. And as you mentioned, you know, the, the, if the builder moves into it themselves, let's say for six months or a year, and they you know claim it as their primary residence and then go to sell it so there's no warranty at all they don't it's not they're not mandated to do it no there's no warranty at all and one of the reasons uh, i suspect that some builders do this is the hst consequences they don't want to charge hst on the purchase price for a buyer as long as they say that hst is included they don't have a problem but the house is not warranted uh, and so now you're dealing with the reputation of that person who's selling it to you. Okay, so let's 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 take a step forward and talk about some of the big builders out there. Obviously, the guys that are, you know, they're doing the hundred million dollar projects or billion dollar projects for that matter. Obviously, they're all they all have to be under the the, the Tarion blanket. You know, back uh, back a while ago, there's been a lot of complaints about Tarion in itself, and to the point where at some point they were.
were thinking of, Ontario was thinking of removing them as the warranty provider. Is this still, still something on the, on well, the table? Now with the recent government announcements about sort of how they're going to look at this, I think that a lot of these complaints will uh, be resolved. And I think that it was more... Uh, about uh, a few different instances than a industry-wide problem. I think for the most part, builders, they build well and they build on time. And when they don't, you know, they, the uh, corporation goes after them to correct deficiencies. And that's why when you're buying a pre-construction condo, all the agreements, frankly, are identical. They're not fair. They give the builder the right to extend. They give the builder the right to change finishes, you know, and uh, layouts, etc. And so that's why the reputation of the builder is so important before you buy. And this is what I tell all first-time or buyers of pre-construction. Go to prior developments that these people have finished and speak to the owners and just ask them, did they finish on time? Did they give you what they promised? Right. And did they fix the problems within the first year? Those kind of builders, doesn't matter what the agreement says, you're going to get a finished product and you don't have to worry. Okay, so let's go back to the, the to the point that you were just making about the agreement. So you are a real estate lawyer. That's what you do. You, you've done a, had a wonderful career at it. You get people coming to you and because they always say, take the agreement to the lawyer. Are you able to make any changes on that? Because I know a lot of builders say, sorry, ironclad, don't touch my agreement. But as you, you as a lawyer representing the buyer, are there changes that can actually happen on an agreement of purchase and sale of a new property like that? See, this is why, again, I talk about the reputation. Many times at the sales office, they've already got instructions. So, for example, the, one of the biggest issues in a new condominium is the additional charges. Sure. And there's all kinds of clauses that says besides what you're paying we have these additional charges many builders will tell you exactly what they are and they'll put caps on them so that they will not exceed this amount and then the buyer knows that on closing this is pretty much what i'm going to have to pay some agreements they don't have what i would call caps and sometimes as lawyers we're able to get them we'll ask for them um, and then the client gets to make an informed decision whether to go forward so that's one of the biggest uh sort of like uh, controversial things in a new agreement that you have to deal with when you're examining a new building. Then there's the right to assign. Do you have the right to transfer it to someone else? In my experience with condominiums, builders will give you that right, provided the building is almost sold out for a fee to transfer it to somebody else. With low-rise or detached houses, most builders will not give you the right to do that. So you got to close that deal in the name that you bought it. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the things I always tell people, um, especially in our seminars, life happens. And when, you, when you're buying brand new from a builder, you have to keep in mind that, um, you know, some of these take a long time to close. Like you've seen some closings, I'm sure, three, five, you know, even seven years. And life can happen to everybody. And if you're buying a brand new condo with a five-year closing, you don't know if, A, you're, you know, if you've got the same job, if you're going to be still married, if you're still alive for that matter. And so without the assignment clause, it doesn't allow people to have what I call an escape. It shouldn't always be viewed as something you can utilize to make money from. What do you think? Yeah, that's why you need the assignment. And in most, as I said, condominiums, when you're buying from a builder, 
they will permit you to do that provided that you're not really competing with them. What I mean competing is they haven't sold out and now right. you're competing with them. So they don't want that. Provided they've sold out, they're not in most cases going to stop you from an assignment. With uh, low-rise homes, detached homes you're buying from a builder, first of all, it's not usually five years. It may be a year or two sure. from the time you buy until they construct. And so, and in my experience, they don't want you because they then it's less of an argument of life happens when it's only one or two years sure. versus a condominium. And my advice to buyers in those situations are why not just consider renting it out and keeping it as an investment for a while if you decide you don't want to move in because of life circumstances. It's still a terrific investment for you. Sure. Excellent. Hey, Mark, listen, what, I, we're going to go to a quick break. I'm going to ask for you to stay put. Uh, lots more for you and I to talk about, maybe a couple of horror stories and a new thing coming up with marijuana. So folks, I've got Mr. Mike, Mark Wiseletter joining me. He is a real estate professional lawyer and we'll be back right after this. And welcome back. If you're just joining me right now, my guest right now is Mr. Mark Wiseletter. He is a professional real estate lawyer. Um, you know what? One of the top in the city. And uh, Mark, one of the things that you know I always want to make sure people know is the best way to reach you is? Yes, by email. It's easy. It's mark, M-A-R-K, at real estate lawyers with an s dot ca you know you've got one of those features that i i thought was absolutely amazing you actually go to your clients as opposed to your clients coming to you that's a, that's an incredible service to offer yes we found in our own research that buyers and sellers they don't want to miss work to close a real estate deal they don't want to go to lawyers offices so one of the services we offer with every real estate deal and we're now closing across the gta and the rest of ontario is we'll come to you to sign the paper so it could be in the evening could be at weekends when it's uh, more relaxing and the main thing is you don't have to miss any work to close a real estate deal and most of our clients even though we have lots of offices most of our clients choose for us to come to them to sign the paperwork yeah i i think that's an awesome service you know just before the break you and i were talking about new construction uh things like uh, tarry on warranties and people you know being careful obviously with the paperwork that they're signing a lot going on uh and and you know as a um as both a developer and a property manager um you know, we are starting to face this, you know, I, I would say this, this, I think it's going to be a tidal wave, but it is the legalization of marijuana. You know, right now, the liberal, liberal government says, yes, uh, June 2018, it's going to happen. You know, when we talk about both rental properties, condominiums, so people that, you know, in a multi-residential format, so not, not, not just your next door neighbor if you're in a detached home, but people that are in much closer proximity, um, this is just going to open up just a can of worms on both from a property management, legality, what you can and can't do. Can you shed some legal light on this one? Because I, I, I tell you, as, as a property manager, we've got our concerns on how this is going to be managed. Great question. Thank you, Todd. I think we have to just look at something else that's legal, which is smoking cigarettes. You know, smoking cigarettes, cigars might be legal, but that doesn't mean it's not harmful to your neighbors. And so many apartments, leases, and my own put in that, you know, you're not allowed to smoke on the premises. And tenants have been able to be evicted if it can be proven that the smoke is causing either damage to the premises, let's say it's furnished, or is bothering the other tenants. So, so tenants have been evicted for this. So in my own lease that I've developed, um, 
I've now included a marijuana provision that just says you're not allowed to uh, smoke marijuana anywhere on the premises. You're not allowed to grow marijuana plants. And that should be, frankly, included in every lease. And then uh, I think the same legal principles will apply for landlords. If the tenant has it, and let's say the lease doesn't say anything, but it's bothering the other tenants, then they could be evicted for that. Now, growing marijuana plants and then you're going to whether somebody needs it for medicinal purposes okay you're going to have arguments you're going to have human rights you know arguments but the fact is if that plant is damaging the property like depending on the number of them is it damaging the property then i think that the landlord will still have a good argument for eviction but we're just going to have to see how the court cases play out yeah so when we take a look at it and let's go back to being a landlord existing landlord you got tenants in there they didn't sign a lease that dictated that they were not allowed to smoke marijuana you know some buildings some buildings they struggle to put a non-smoking on it even uh, you know some people are saying that you know that's against human rights but ultimately in the end so you've got existing tenancies in place and all of a sudden now your existing tenant who was you know quietly doing hush hush out by his car because you know it's illegal it's now legalized they're sitting out on their balcony you know you're on the 10th floor the guy on the 11th floor all he does is smell this stuff because it's it's now legal um yeah he was allowed to smoke a cigarette there any 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 case for the person on the 11th floor well again i think you do i think you will first of all a landlord will have a case and also you have to understand condominiums are going to have rules and anytime you and they'll enact new rules about marijuana for sure yeah so anytime somebody breaks a rule and most tenants have signed leases that say clearly they're going to follow the condominium rules so the minute they violate a rule and the building does something they're going to charge the landlord as a result of this then the landlord will have a case against the tenant so you're going to see this in condos but also even in apartments you're going to see it because the reason is you can't do things that bother the other tenants or damage the property and i see marijuana but if it's just a house and you can't prove damage i don't know how the owner's going to stop it because yep. they're not bothering anybody else right and and that's part of it you know it's you know there's obviously a lot of interpretation yet to come on this and i think um i think you could be very busy in the next couple of years with some of these cases um you know one of the things that uh that not everybody's aware of obviously are some of the horror stories out there you know i know that um you know when practicing real estate i did a lot of power sales for grow ops in fact people would rent out properties converted into grow ops absolute horror story to the point where a couple houses had to get torn down the damage was so bad there was no way that they were going to get rid of it um you know recently uh, last time i had you on the show we were actually talking about people that were were renegotiating uh just at the final hour because you know price prices have dropped a little you know kind of like hey listen you know what we're going to give you 50 grand less than what we were originally going to pay you if not we're going to you know breach the contract um much else going on out there that people should be aware of well it's very important that you do have a final visit to the property before closing so you can you know it's it's funny i was just speaking in british columbia they don't even have that they looked at me like i was a foreigner when i said well what happens you know when you find problems in the fight they said we don't have that i said 
maybe you're smarter because now all the problems that happen at closing, the lawyers don't have to deal with them. Sure. But I think that you really have to. There could be changes before closing and, and you things breaking. And after closing, now you got to go chase the seller, sellers who may have left town, and you're never going to get anything from them. So when you're buying anything, you know, always make sure you have that final visit so that you can check as much as possible that you're getting what you promised to get. And uh, look, I had, you know, there's always, whenever somebody, a buyer calls me at seven o'clock in the evening on a Friday after closing, <laughs> they're never calling to say, okay, thank you, thank you, Mark, for being my lawyer. No, it's always a problem, whether it's a broken oven, windows cracked. I had somebody call the other day and said, uh, Mark, there's a, there's a strange man living in the basement. And he wasn't here when we did the inspection and right. <laughs> he's uh says he has a verbal lease with the owner and he's not going anywhere well all, all i could say was call the police sure you know and they were fortunate they got him out within 24 hours but i, I said thank you to them and they said why well, i said now you, you gave me something to say now when somebody calls me with a busted oven i can say be happy there's no strange man living in your basement <laughs> so uh yeah it, i've heard so many yeah. You know, uh, well, like you, you you probably live a lot of them because obviously re you know representing buyers and sellers, and you know I know I know a lot of times where you know again being a real estate practitioner for so many years, you know what would happen is I would I would get this phone call from the buyer's agent trying to hint around saying, yeah, would your client like to stay a little longer? And I'd say, um, okay, what do you really want to tell me? And they would turn around and say, you know, I had a couple where they said, uh, well, yeah, the um, the buyer's in jail right now, but they're getting out soon and they just want to do an extension. <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there's all sorts of different things that go on, obviously, in the industry. Um, you know, lots of, lots of rules and, and, and regulations, obviously, in buying. Um, you've seen the market, you know, go up. We're seeing it go down. Any other things that our, our listeners should be aware of? I think the market is stable right now. Now I'm seeing offers that are relatively stable. There's more conditions put in, so you're able to do which the home great. inspection, which yep. is great. People yep. are not buying blind, yep. which is terrific. Uh, don't be afraid if you haven't sold your house yet to put a condition in that it's still conditional on the sale of your house so that if there are fluctuations, then what happened to everybody who bought in March and April, couldn't sell their home, won't happen to you. So don't be afraid to put in those kinds of uh, conditional offers uh, as well. Yeah, excellent. You know, I think, I think that's great advice. Mark, one more time, best way for people to reach you? Thank you. Best way by email, mark at realestatelawyers.ca. Excellent. Hey, folks, just also one other thing that Mark's firm offers is the fact that they will come to you. That's right. You don't get to you don't have to miss work. You don't have to make an excuse to your boss. You can wait till after hours. So always a pleasure, Mark. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Todd. It was great. And folks, coming up after the break, I've got past president of OREA, Mr. Ray Ferris. He's going to be joining us and uh, he and I have lots to talk about. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this and welcome back so my next guest uh is no stranger to the show or for that matter to um ask the experts uh it is mr ray ferris he is former president of the ontario real estate association and of course he is a real estate broker and uh ray i understand in the in the future um you are going to be a marina owner yeah well thank you todd it's great to be back and you're right i just uh, purchased my parents business 
which is a marina on Long Point Bay that they've owned for 45 years. And prior to that, uh, my dad's parents and uh, my dad's grandparents owned the property. So I'm going to be a fourth-generation marina operator as, a, as well as continuing to be a full-time real estate broker. Excellent, excellent. And uh, what, what is the name of the marina? It's called Old Cut Boat Livery. Uh, cool. You can so... find all about us at oldcut.com. Excellent. Well, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to, to help extend a helping hand out to everybody that's in business. And of course, Ray, you've always, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And so you and I need to get to, into some meat and potatoes. You've, uh, you've never pulled your punches. And this is why we always love having you on as a guest. And um, a lot of things going on in the real estate world right now, of course. And yeah, it's you know, been we've, a real busy week. Yeah, well, not just week, but you know, this year, I, 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 you know, when you and I first started at the beginning of 2017 having a chat, you know, I think that we've seen so many changes through, you know, this year to date that, you know, nobody could have called it the way they did. Uh, you know, government implementing things, Bank of Canada raising the rate twice. Now, of course, Aussie steps in and they decide to make a stress test for the five-year fixed mortgage. And what do you think? Good or bad? Well, you know what, Todd? I don't think it's a good idea, and here's why. First, I do want to say that realtors support a sensibly regulated real estate market, but I really don't think there was a good reason to introduce new rules in a real estate market that already started to slow six months ago. And we know that the average GTA home dropped in price 20% from April's peak. So I just don't think the timing is right. And not only that, I think that this is targeting buyers that have shown that they're careful savers and responsible buyers, because this new stress test, as you know, only applies to those people that are put are borrowing, uh, or they're putting down 20% more or uh, in terms of a down payment, 20% or greater down payment, right? So these people have already proven that they're responsible, careful savers. And I think back to the very first house that I bought, Todd. That was more than 20 years ago. But I saved for a long time to make sure that I had a big enough down down payment to avoid CMHC fees. So if this rule had been implemented, when I was a first-time home buyer, it may have delayed my purchase of a home that I was saving for for a very long time. You know, Ray, one of the things that I, um, I, I tried to analyze with this, and we know that most rates that people get, they're a little bit less when we talk about variable rates, short-term rates. So the actual rate that people get, you know, you could get a variable rate, right. let's say, for 2.49. You can get a, you know, a one-year rate fixed at 2.79. But let's say today you can get a, a five-year fixed at 3.09. If that's the case in the quality qualifying at the 3.09. They've got that locked in for five years. And, right. and I agree with your analogy because I think it's nonsensical for people to sit there and say, look, they're already qualifying at a little bit higher rate. It's not that they're trying to get the lowest rate to get the lowest payment. They're actually turning around looking at a, you know, probably what we would deem to be the highest rate of a standard mortgage at this time to be able to get into the property. And, and for five years, they know that they've got a locked commitment. Now, I don't know if everybody knows 
knows this, but when you lock in a rate for five years and if you actually work with your amortization over a five-year period, your mortgage will reduce at approximately 15% of it in total in that time period. So upon renewal five years from now, your mortgage should have dropped by 15%. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's a very good point. And I should have mentioned that uh, th- these rules would make people qualify for an even higher fixed rate mortgage, and that is the five-year term, like you said. Yeah. So, Ray, a couple, a couple of things that you, you did touch on, and 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 you know, talking about first-time homebuyers and affordability. All we've heard all year, especially out of the Wynn government, is that you know we want to make housing affordable. But doesn't that kind of like get you right where you you know live because as realtors people that buy their their home they own it for many years you know values come up should they not be allowed to actually reap the rewards on the sale of a property or should the government step in and artificially try to push their profit down so somebody else can buy their house you know you make a really good point todd so You'll remember in the spring, we were in a crazy hot real estate market like nobody could have ever predicted or I had never experienced before. And there was a lot of discussion as to buyers who were losing out in competing offer situations. Prices of houses were rapidly escalating, but nobody talked about sellers. And as you just said, don't sellers have the right to sell their house for the most amount of money possible. So nobody was talking about sellers when the market caught on fire. And really what's happening now, Todd, is supply and demand are rebalancing, and that's keeping prices steady in many markets, not not government intervention. Well, you see, and that's the thing. I think, I think you know, our provincial government wants to take credit for absolutely everything. I mean, if, if they could take credit for making it rain and, and the sun to come out, I think they would tax that as well. So when, when we take a look at their approach this year, it's, and, and, and really, they got very aggressive with a lot of things. You know, they, they talk about va- the vacancy rate, how we're struggling, but yet they're really not accommodating the new builders. They throw in the, the rent control right from from day one and so they're not really giving incentivizing builders to go out there and actually build so then they're going to put that burden on you know city of toronto or the province of ontario and the taxpayers to be able to work on you know affordable housing so there, there's there's one you know chink in the in their whole description of it but by turning around and telling people that no we're going to control the price of your property because we have to make sure that the next generation can afford it, I think is way offside. Yeah, you're absolutely right, uh, Todd. The goal of policymakers, I get, should, do, should be to bring home ownership into reach for more families. But controlling pricing isn't the way to do it. And the way to achieve it, in my opinion, is encouraging more housing supply. And governments can do a lot to help us achieve that, such as speed up, you know, the approval process for uh, new developments, uh, to speed up the process to get water and sewer and transportation infrastructure, and and so on. They don't need to control the pricing of houses the way that you've alluded to. There's a lot better ways that we think they can accomplish that. 
You know, uh, the Bank of Canada, obviously, uh, two rate increases throughout the summer, uh, which is understandable because when, you know, we were artificially pulled down because they were working on the economy, of course, you know, the Alberta fires, a lot of situations. So so the, basically, they took a, took back the incentive that was in, uh, originally introduced, and that's fine. You know, we could be looking at an uptick past, uh, you know, the, the, the typical 1% rate there uh, in the future. And again, this is not something, this is not the government intervening in a real estate state market. But then you've got offices stepping in saying, no, 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 despite the fact that you've got 20% down, we still want to push you on the stress test. Again, if you if you take a look at people like yourself, when you first started out, everybody that's trying to achieve a higher down payment, they don't want the CMHC fees, they want to stand on their own, you know, have something affordable. At the end of the day, um, is this just a bad step? Or is it something that they're so afraid that Canadians are taking in too much debt? Well, you know, Todd, I want to dial back to a year ago, and you might remember that new new restrictions were applied to uh, mortgages that required insurance, and that is those mortgages with down payments of less than 20%. I think that was sometime about a year ago, last October or so. And since then, the number of new mortgages insured by CMHC have dropped 44%. And throughout 2017, it has remained significantly lower than in 2016. So again, I, I, I don't see why there was a necessity to do this when the information and the data that we have indicate otherwise. Yep. So, Ray, a couple, a couple things just uh, so we can touch on. Of course, uh, Aria, big voice in the real estate industry, Ontario Real Estate Association. You know, your past president, Tim Hudak, current CEO. Uh, Ontario realtors face new double-ending rules, stiffer fines, good or bad? Well, you know, Todd, I think it's good news. So, you know, I, I do want to say that the Ontario Real Estate Association did lobby the provincial government to modernize the rules by how realtors are governed. And to their credit, they did so. Um, And we want to thank the Ontario government for actually engaging with stakeholders in the real estate industry, that is realtors, and ask how we can make the real estate process more transparent. Let's dial back again to early in the spring when the real estate market was on fire. Uh, A lot of people uh, were feeling left out of the market. They were they they felt that maybe there were some practices that um, uh, weren't uh, fair to buyers. And so, we anything that can add more transparency to a real estate process is a good thing. So, what the government has done is introduce um, a proposal to make sure that when a property is listed for sale by an agent or a realtor, rather. Uh, th- Uh, A buyer who looks at that property with the listing realtor will be assigned to another realtor in that office to work with. I think the process, um, you know, it's going to take some fine-tuning, Ray, but I think it's going to be a good thing definitely for the industry. So um, once again, uh, you know, always a pleasure to have you on the show, Ray. Definitely will have you back because I know you're going to keep your your lifeblood in real estate, of course. But again, congratulations on your new adventure coming up in the future. We'll definitely be in touch. So that was Mr. Ray Ferris, past president of the Ontario Real Estate Association. And look, uh, going to be a new marina owner. Fabulous. Anyways, um, I want to thank my guests this hour. 
Mr. Dave Butler. Always a pleasure to have Dave on from Butler Mortgage, as well as Mr. Mark Wiseletter. Always great to hear from Mark. You know what? A lawyer that knows the market is always great to have on. I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. He always keeps it simple for me every week, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. Remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.